0: Welcome to episode number 275. On today's episode, we are diving into using silvopasture and co-grazing methods to be more sustainable and productive on your homestead. So this is going to be applying to any type of livestock that you may be wanting to raise either now or someday, including goats, cattle, sheep, horses, It's really fun. And I have to tell you, I didn't even know how to technically pronounce Sovo Pasture. I didn't even know exactly what it meant until today's episode. So I learned a ton and some things that we are currently beginning to put into works here on our homestead. And I know you're going to learn a lot, too. And it's not only on being more sustainable, which if you're listening to a podcast about homesteading, I'm sure is one of your top goals, but also how to make your land be the most productive that it can be, both for the livestock and also for you financially and providing for your family. So let me formally introduce myself in this podcast, and then we are going to get to today's episode. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, a fifth-generation homesteader who got back to her roots of using simple, modern homesteading for a healthier and more self-sufficient life after a cancer scare in my late 20s. This is the place for you, my friend, if you sometimes wondered if you weren't born 100 years too late. If you've always thought that you and Laura Ingalls would be best friends. And if you think that every home and kitchen would be better if they were filled with mason jars and cast iron, and those things were used daily with homegrown and homemade food. If that is you, then welcome home and welcome to this amazing community of modern pioneers. Today's interview and special guest is with Shelby DeVore, who is the founder of the blog farm innonets she's a livestock expert and avid gardener with 20 plus years of experience raising livestock and gardening with a bs in animal and dairy science and an ms in agriculture and natural resources shelby has taught high school and college level courses in agri-science large and small animal science veterinary medicine plant science soil science hydroculture greenhouse management and poultry science which i have to say i wish had been available when i was in high school and at the colleges i was attending because they were not and all of those subjects are right up a homesteader's alley shelby now currently lives with her husband and children and you may hear darling sounds of her newborn in the background on this podcast episode they live on a 14 acre farm where they raise dwarf goats jersey cattle pigs meat and egg chickens, turkeys, and also keep bees. So without further ado, we're going to go right to this interview. Guys, I am super excited to introduce you to our guest today. So Shelby, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, me too. And I have to tell you, I am going to sound like a brand new newbie when we are asking about some of these terms because I'm very intrigued by using co-grazing methods to be more sustainable and productive because we do that naturally with our chickens, our pigs when we have them on our pasture and with our beef cattle. But I am sure that there's lots that we can improve on and do better. And sometimes, you know, obviously people have different types of livestock. There's lots of different livestock than just the three that I mentioned. So, but you specialize in talking about silvopasture, I'm probably mispronouncing it too, but pasture and co-grazing. So I get the co-grazing, but what exactly does silvopasture mean?
1: So silvopasture, and you did pronounce it correctly, by the way, um, yeah, you can. is <laughs> it's a fairly new concept. Um, typically when we think about agriculture and raising livestock on pasture, A lot of our main goal is to go in and remove trees and shrubs, right? We think of um, cattle and sheep as uh, grazing animals and providing them with as much grass as we can. Um, So silvopasture is interesting because it incorporates trees into the equation which for a lot of people is a really foreign concept because a lot of their goal when they're creating pasture is to eliminate those trees, not encourage tree growth. So silvopasture is basically um, trying to create a symbiotic relationship between your livestock, your pasture, and trees.
0: Okay, I'm really intrigued with this because we actually have mixed, so we have, this is going to sound so funny, we have 14.96 acres, we have three parcels that butt together that's almost 15 acres, and some about, I would say probably about five to six acres of that is pasture, and then the other part is a mix of evergreens, primarily cedar, um, fur, hemlock, and then we have an, and some um, cottonwood. And then we have another section that um, is more cottonwood, a little bit of maple, some alder, and then a few cedars. And so there is some grass in there, but of course the grass doesn't grow as, you know, as thick and abundant as it does out in the pasture areas. So I'm really... So I guess we've been doing some of that civil pasture, but we were planning on taking out some of the alder and some of the cottonwood to increase the pasture in those areas, but leaving a quite a bit predominantly of the evergreens. So is that a good or a bad idea or kind of can you walk me through that a little mm. bit? Like I'm getting my own consultation <laughs> and you guys get to listen in. So I'm actually quite <laughs> excited about this because we haven't done any of it yet.
1: Awesome. Well, actually, it sounds like um, you're off to a good start. So a quick question. Uh, You mentioned that you have three different parcels. Are those cross-fenced currently?
0: Yeah. So we have one parcel that just has our home and garden on it, which is just a little bit less than two acres. And then the other parcel is about five point something acres. And that is predominantly pasture though up on the top part of our pasture we have like a little bench it used to be like hundreds and hundreds of years ago a river ran through there so the bottom part you can actually see where the river ran and then you would have like the bank and so the bottom part is pretty sandy so that dries out pretty quick and there's not a lot of trees in that direct area of pasture but the grass does grow pretty good we live in the pacific northwest so usually rainfall is not a huge issue for us except in august So that top part is just all one piece of pasture, and then on the very top part, there's where we have some pasture with some alder, maple, and a few cedars, and that's just all open. Now, then the bottom portion, which is our other parcel, is fenced, and then we'll kind of rotate on and off. So we'll give some of the pasture a break and let that grow up while they're on the other part, and that has a lot more of the tree culture that I was talking about with just a very small amount of Pasture, but it's got all of those different, the cottonwoods and all of those evergreens and maples and everything down there. But it's a lot shadier and a lot less pasture because it's a lot more densely forest area.
1: Right. Okay. So, like I said a minute ago, it sounds like you're off to a good start. Um, one of the um, key components to establishing a good silvopasture system is to have it cross fenced. That way you can. Get your animals around while you get your forage established under your trees that's why i asked about um cross fencing okay. so a lot of your what could potentially become silvopasture um is heavily treed it sounds like you can definitely start silvopasture from a currently wooded space of course what i would recommend is have somebody maybe an extension agent or somebody that uh, is heavily involved with forestry, um, come to your property. And a lot of times they can do this for free, especially if you can find an extension agent um, that specializes in forestry, they'll come out and look at your property for you and walk through everything with you. But um, have them look at your trees, see what you've got and see with your soil that you have there in the Pacific Northwest, see what's going to do best with forages for your soil in your area, if that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned uh, you guys had already discussed getting rid of some of the alders and the cottonwood trees mm-hmm. and you'd be leaving a lot of the um, evergreens behind. And you also mentioned that you guys have maple trees. Um, do you tap those?
0: No, they're, they're not sugar maple. Um, so, I mean, you could tap them. Yes, they'll have some sap, but not nearly what you would get from a sugar maple. So we haven't been tapping them. And here in the Pacific Northwest, it's hard to tap because we don't always have those freezes and then thawings. Often we're just like that wet sogginess. So it's right. a really short tapping window if we do have it. And because they're not sugar maples, we don't get a ton of sap off of them anyhow.
1: When you're planning silvopasture, um, Part of your goal is to not only manage your animals and your forages, but you want to be able to manage your timber as well. So if you could find a balance, you know, in a silvopasture system to where you can not only increase, and I should probably mention this, small farmers and people that are interested in homesteading like you and I. Um may not necessarily look at uh, farm profits the same way that like a commercial producer would, right? So if, in my case, if my animals are happy and we're putting meat in the freezer and it's not costing me a ton of money out of pocket, to me, that's a profitable system. So when I say profitable, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that you're uh, making math of money off of something. If it works for you and it helps you reach your goals easier without costing you a ton of money out of pocket, then it's profitable. So ideally your silvopasture system, everything in it should be profitable for you. It should be improved in helping the other parts of the system. So if you're raising livestock, your livestock healthier, they should be more productive. Your trees should also be healthier and more productive. So should your forages. I hope that made sense, (laughs) and I wasn't just rambling on. Um, So, uh, a lot of people that are interested in a silvopasture system want their trees to also be profitable for them. So, in your case, you already have trees that you can work with. Someone that doesn't trees in place and is maybe starting. Uh, with a blank count um, what types of trees they would like to plant. And if you're thinking about this in terms of your silvopasture being profitable for you, a lot of people incorporate like fruit trees and do like an old type silvopasture or maybe nut trees um, or um, pines or some type of fast growing, you know, timber that they could potentially harvest in 15 or 20 years and then replant like that.
0: I love that thought. I do have to ask you though, because I have tried planting some fruit producing trees, specifically pawpaw. Paw, and we've tried doing other trees, planting some different trees out in the pasture where the cattle are. But the cows, I swear, they are the nosiest things in the universe. And if they see us planting something, they will come over and they just pull it out. Like I actually had them caged because they were really small one-year-old pawpaw trees. And I had them caged and they just tore down and trampled the cages, pulled the pawpaw tree out, I guess just for fun. I know they're not really trying to be mean, though I was quite irritated with them, I have to say, (laughs) and trampled it. So when you're putting in young trees, especially fruit trees, do you just make sure that it's fenced off for a period of time or do you have any tips for managing and and I'm specifically talking I mean pigs would probably root stuff up too specifically with the cattle because I've found them to kind of be a bit destructive when I'm trying to put new things in not with existing they've been fine with our existing trees but when I'm trying to plant things when they're new and young uh, they tend to just want to they don't even really eat them but they will kind of like nibble on the leaves but they damage them so much that they either pull them out or they damage them so much they don't grow.
1: Yeah. So that's actually a really common problem. And so let me tackle this a couple of different ways. So you mentioned that they seem really curious when you plant new trees and they nibble on them. And there's actually a really good reason for that. So anytime a plant grows, it's going to add new growth on at the top of the plant. And where that new growth comes in is where a lot of your nutrients are gonna end up and animals know that. And they'll actually, um, if given the opportunity, will nibble and choose to eat on the more nutritious parts of the plant. So when you have a young plant that you're putting in the ground, they can actually reach all of that really nutrient dense forage and they'll take advantage of that and eat it. So that's probably a little bit of what was going on um, with your cows when you tried to put new uh, fruit trees and stuff in. They're probably like, "Ooh, mom's putting us a really tasty snack out here. Like <laughs> this is the best energy bar." Whereas your older, more established is on the top and it's out of their reach. But they're like, "Eh, yeah, that's okay. We'll just keep going." So it is a really common problem with people that are establishing a new pasture over a pastured area. One of the best ways to keep animals away is to utilize cross-fencing. So if you can, I would section off, you know, uh, four or five uh, paddocks in, within one pasture. And then go through and establish your, these are your timber, whatever um, type of tree that you're gonna put into your pasture, one paddock at a time. And just kind of keep your livestock out of that one paddock for like a year. Give your plants time to grow without the pressure of them being grazed on. And then you can rotate to the next paddock and cycle your animals through. Now, I know that doesn't work for everybody, so you can go through and individually fence trees off when you're putting up uh, fences around trees for livestock is to give yourself at least three feet from the outside of the fence to foliage around on that tree. You want to be at least three feet away with your fence to discourage your animals from Potentially grazing on that, trying to lean on the fence and grazing. Another option that I've seen a lot of producers have good luck with is to install um, just one strand of electric fencing. Uh, If you've got pigs or goats, I would aim it closer to the ground. If you've got larger animals like horses or cattle, I would go around
0: the top of your fence that borders your trees. Those are some great options and I knew we should have put in better cages or fenced around it. It was just kind of one of those things like, oh, I planted it. They've been off of it for a month. We've had them off of it for a month. I'm like, it'd probably be okay. And yet, obviously it was not okay. So I just need to do it longer and make sure that I've got a little bit better fencing in. So thank you for those tips. And we, you were just kind of listing off some of the livestock, like, and obviously, you know, like with the pigs put down lower, if you've got cattle in there, go up higher. But with the silvo pasture, are there specific kinds of livestock that do better or are more suited to that type of environment or in your experience what have kind of I guess thrived the best? So you were listing off some of the livestock on based upon where you should put the hot wire if you're going to be using it based on the height of the livestock basically. But when you're doing silvo pasture, is there certain kinds of livestock that are better suited to it or that seem to I don't know if perform is quite the right word, but seem to do better.
1: So really, you can make silvopasture systems work for almost any type of livestock. Um, I've seen people do it with horses and cattle and sheep and goats and even uh, poultry, so chickens, turkey, pretty much anything that you can fence in and you would want to raise. I will say now that I think about it I don't recall seeing or hearing anybody raising like llamas or alpaca but I'm sure that you could totally make it work and maybe I just haven't you know seen that actually in action. I will say too that a lot of people when you think silvo pasture and you think wooded pasture area maybe the first thing that comes to mind as far as what would work best with livestock is goats. And I don't want to say that that's wrong, but you really have to be careful when you incorporate goats into a silvopasture system. Goats actually do the best on silvopasture when you're establishing it from a wooded space already. So goats are browsers. They actually prefer to eat. And when you're establishing new silbo pasture in a wooded area, it is a good idea to bring goats in to kind of clean that shrubby undergrowth up and make room for the forage that's going to go on, on the ground. Once you get that forest established or get that forage pushed <laughs> in your wooded area, you really have to be careful um, and make sure that if you're using goats on the Silbo pasture system, that you're really rotating them out because you don't want them to um, overgraze to the point that they start looking to your um, trees and your timber because you're trying to manage those properly as well. So you want everything in your system to be nice and healthy and that includes your trees. <laughs>
0: Okay, very good tip. Yes, goats goats can be great brush clearers to a degree, but they can be destructive when you don't want them to be. So I love your your note of caution there. <laughs> yeah. So for those like I said, like we already have silvopasture. I didn't know that that was a term. Actually, we just um, you know. So this is I'm finding this very fascinating, and I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, but I want to make sure for someone who doesn't already have a setup in their pasture area as civil pasture that they can get some great tips for getting established. So I'm going to save my, my further questions for just a minute, but like usually people have more, I feel like one or the other. So say you have like a really heavily wooded area and you want to incorporate more pasture with your woods because you're, you're feeling like, man, I do not have enough grass versus someone who has like a ton of pasture, but no trees. So I guess like we're talking almost like from two different extremes And what would be the benefits or the best ways for them to begin to create silver pasture in either either of those environments? And I'd probably lean a little heavily, like for those who already have pasture established without the trees, they might be thinking like, well, why would I really want to bring trees in here? And we didn't dive into that that too much in the beginning. So I know I just laid a lot out there for you, but if you could um, help me out there and answer some of those, I think it'd be really helpful
1: so let's start with somebody that um, has a really heavily wooded space if you think back over the course of uh history here in the united states um a lot of the early pioneers they came through they found wooded spaces and what they do to it they cleared it right and they created little homesteads little farms and it's actually estimated that roughly 70% of the wooded space today in the United States could, when I say easily, take that with a grain of salt, um, because we'll get into this in a few minutes, but could fairly easily be turned into working and usable silvopasture. And a lot of that stems from the fact that a lot of these old um, farmsteads and homesteads uh, that are located close by to where you know, people are living and looking to expand their property, or maybe get started with uh, silvo pasture. At some point in in the history, may have already been cleared, and you just didn't know. A lot of the uh, wooded space is very suitable for creating silvo pasture. So, my advice is. If you're starting with really heavily wooded space, you need to um, go out, walk your timber, analyze what's out there and what you've got that looks healthy, what doesn't look healthy, and consider what type of livestock you would want to incorporate into your space. Because you have to think about the fact that everything in your silvopasture, so Certain trees are going to work better with certain forages, which are going to work better with certain types of livestock. So you need to sit down and put some thought into it before you just go out into your woods and start cutting <laughs> cutting down random trees and decide that you're going to you know create silvo pasture. Um, one of the things that you really need to consider is uh, in order for forage and trees to coexist happily, your forage needs to have enough sunlight. And usually you wanna aim for about 50% of your ground to have access to sunlight. So when you go through and you look at your tree canopy, you want to keep the trees that are gonna provide light shade at the ground level, not heavy dense shade. So um, one of the least commonly used trees in the silvopasture system um, usually belong to the oak family because they have really dense canopy, and that provides really dense shade, and it's really hard to get forages to grow successfully underneath, you know, thick canopies provided by these oak So ideally you want, but are going to have leaves that disintegrate fairly quickly and come in after your ideal forage would come in. So in the spring, you want your grasses to come in in your silvopasture system before your trees get a lot of leaves on them. Once your grasses come in pretty well and then your leaves come in your grass is already established and it's not going to struggle in the spring to get a jump start on the growing season. Um, Leaves also, like I said, need to disintegrate fairly easily. So a lot of fruit tree leaves will break down pretty quickly. Um, Leaves from trees that belong in the hickory family, like walnuts or uh, black locusts, their leaves also disintegrate really quickly and that's important because when your grass reseeds throughout the growing season it's not going to be able to seed and germinate properly if you've got a really thick layer of uh, leaf mold on the ground you want that to really break down so that your seeds can get a good foothold uh, in the soil to start growing um and the last thing is you want to make sure that these that you're have really deep roots with your forages for nutrients and water in the top layer of that soil so that's that's kind of how i would look at um starting silvopasture from existing uh wooded spaces um so let's look at it from the opposite end um establishing silvopasture when you have no trees and just open radiant pasture. Um, this may be a little bit easier to uh, plan for since you kind of are starting with a blank slate. One of the most important things that you'll need to do up front is analyze your soil. You need to um, either have someone come out and test your soil or if you can test it yourself, test it yourself. I'm all for doing stuff yourself if you can, but just get an idea of the health of your soil before you try to start planting trees. Trees are gonna take a lot more nutrients and a lot more water and require a lot more healthy soil than just grass to grow. So you wanna make sure that you're starting with the best possible soil that you can um, if you need to go in and fertilize, amend it. It's not going to hurt your grass. It's probably going to help it grow faster, if anything else. Tested before you start trying to find if you're not doing this yourself, or I'm sure you could research this if you're a DIYer like we are, and determine um, what kind of soil is in your area. Do you have sandy soil? Do you have soil that's heavy in clay? and figure out which types of trees are gonna grow best in your area. Remember, we're all about making everything in this system happy and cohesive and working together. So that includes your trees. Once you get an idea of the type of soil and the types of trees that you can grow, then you can start planning out spacing your trees. And I've seen people space their trees so many different ways in silvopasture systems it's really completely up to you if you want to do nice neat single rows or multiple rows or um, scatter plots in your pasture there's not really one system that works better than the other so however you want to manage it um, if it's easier for you to run a bush hog down you know a single row of trees then plant a single row of trees if you're read about it scatter them just make sure that your 50 percent of your ground is getting sunlight at some point during the day that's your that's your main goal when it comes to spacing out trees um and when you first plant them you're probably going to plant more than what you're going to wind up needing and that's fine because in a year or two if your shade isn't or if your shade is too dense at the ground, you can go through and thin out your trees. Um, that's a really common practice in pretty much any forestry system. So don't feel bad in your silvopasture system if a couple of years in, you realize, oh, all of my trees are now touching and none of my ground is shaded. So I need to go in and thin some trees out. Another thing to, I'm sorry, <laughs> another thing to consider is the forages that grow in an open pasture are probably not going to be the same ones that are going to grow in a silvo pasture system. So, um, for example, Bermuda grass grows perfect in full sunlight and in heat, and even in almost drought conditions, Bermuda grass will grow like a champ. The moment you try to grow Bermuda grass underneath a tree, you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be disappointed. Um, so you're probably gonna have to adjust any types of grass that you have. Some of it is gonna take place on its own. If you have uh, legumes or maybe Timothy grass or fescue uh, growing in your pasture right now, um, those will probably become some of your more predominant. That forages in your silvopasture system once your trees really get established and you can aid that process of course by um, seeding it out yourself um, and i would look for like ryegrass seeds legumes uh, timothy some of the uh, shade fescue blends a lot of those tend to perform really well in a silvopasture system because they
0: don't mind being in the shade Okay, that was exactly what I was going to ask you because I have noticed that a lot of our grass that we have in, especially with like the alder pasture areas, um, that grass, what's been interesting is once we start to hit that dry spell where we don't get a lot of rain, and it kind of goes into drought conditions, that grass that's underneath the shady area of the trees will continue to grow longer, whereas the other parts of the field will dry out. So that's actually a great thing. But um, when conditions are ideal, the cattle tend to leave that grass until the very last. Um, So I think that we need to just bring in some different species and seed it so that it grows a little bit more lush Um, Underneath that shady area so that they're taking advantage and actually eating that grass, uh, not just saving it till the very last when all the other pasture is gone. um, But so that they're getting a little bit more use out of it. So thank you for listing out those species that will do better in those shaded more shaded environments.
1: Yeah, so and a quick tip. Um, We also have some silvo pasture here on our property. And a couple of years ago, we uh, bought some seed to seed out a couple of new sections of silvo pasture. And really pay attention to the seed blends that are in the bags of seed that you're buying. And the reason I say that is a lot of like pasture blend. Mixes will advertise that it's made for full sunlight, but actually, the grass seed that's in it is better suited for growing in shade than it is for sunlight. And that was the case for us a couple of years ago. Um, We actually ran up to Tractor Supply. We were just going to grab like 10 bags of seed. And when we were reading through the little seed blend on the tag, we were comparing a couple of different bags side by side. Um, Full sunlight was actually nothing but fescue and ryegrass and clover, which all of those are extremely well suited to growing in the shade. And actually in a lot of conditions will grow better in the shade than they do in full sunlight. So um, definitely pay attention to the seeds that are actually in the package seed when you when you go buy some.
0: Okay, that's a great tip. And I have, this may sound like a funny question, Uh, so hopefully I'm not throwing you like a curveball here. But we've been, like I said, a lot of our pasture area is those evergreens. So we've got, you know, those conifers that are in there. And my dad has always said in, and I, I don't know that this has any scientific basis, but he's always said that he always thought that the grass tasted more bitter to the cattle when it's underneath the trees, those trees when it's growing there. And that's why they don't go to that grass until everything else is gone first, and then they'll go and eat that. And so he has in the past lined. So we do have naturally slightly acidic soil here in the Pacific Northwest, just because of all of our rainfall. And of course, having a lot of those conifer trees. So Have you ever heard anything to that with silvopasture? If you're doing it with more of those conifers and evergreens of, and I know a soil test will tell me exactly what my pH level is, of course, and if I need to amend that or not. But have you ever heard anything or do you have any insight into that? Or do you think that's just kind of like a little bit of an old wives' tale?
1: So I think a little bit of science behind it. So I'm not necessarily convinced that the grass actually tastes bitter to the cows. It may just be that, remember a few minutes ago, we were discussing the fact that if given a choice, most livestock are going to um, opt for the more nutritious plants and they'll eat that first. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be a little bit of that going on. So you really have to be careful in a silvopasture system to make sure that you're managing your forages properly along with your trees because your trees have these really deep root systems. They have really massive root systems. If you don't keep your forages in fertile soil, the trees are going to suck a lot of those nutrients out and prevent your grasses from getting it. And in a silvopasture system that's not managed properly, A lot of times that's exactly what will happen, and so you may get some grass that will grow, but it's not going to be nutrient dense grass like what your animals are looking for. And then, if you have um, in the same space, if you have grass that's growing uh, away from trees, it's not competing for nutrients because they want those nutrients, and then When pickings get slim, they'll come around and eat the stuff that isn't as nutrient dense.
0: Okay, that makes perfect sense, actually. Now that that you said that, that that's that's actually really great, though, because then that gives me, even without doing a soil test, which I'm with you, you know, soil tests will tell you exactly where everything's at, and so there's no guesswork. But well, that kind of gives me an indication, like okay, those areas probably need a little bit of TLC as far as soil health goes, um, and is is just a great indicator without soil testing every square inch of the property, so to speak. So, okay, that's that's actually really fascinating, and I'm super glad that I asked <laughs> that you had such a great answer. <laughs> so, you know, with the the cro- co-grazing and doing the silver pasture, you know, is there any other beneficial or things? That people should know about if they're thinking about incorporating it and going ahead and doing it?
1: It's all about becoming more sustainable in the way that we look at agriculture because I'm sure this is not a shocker um, when I say that a lot of traditional agriculture systems we're learning very quickly are not eco friendly, they're not sustainable. And so we need to start thinking about how we can practice agriculture and still be really productive, but do this in a sustainable way. And both um, silvopasture and co-grazing are amazing management practices that allow us to, like I said, still be productive in our agriculture, but be productive in a way that is just as profitable. Um, So one of the major benefits of silvopasture is not only is it more eco-friendly and sustainable, but you're going to see improved animal health and you'll also be able to increase your income in the same acreage if that's something that you're interested in. So for example, um, let's say uh, somebody raises pigs and they decide that they wanna do silvopasture And they want to incorporate apple trees into their silvopasture system. So now they have the pigs that they can produce on the silvopasture system. We've got apples that they can produce. And that would make an additional source of income. And they could even advertise their pigs in a different way that would potentially increase the amount of money that they could get per pig. So, they may be able to advertise their pigs as apple fattened pigs instead of just, you know, you can come buy a half a hog from us. Now, you've added some value to that by raising your pigs in these apple orchards where they're eating the fallen apples that you're not going to use, anyways. So, you've increased your income like that. I mentioned that your animals are going to be healthier. Mm -hmm. Anytime we raise animals on open pasture, heat stress becomes an issue. And a lot of farmers and producers that are really heavily involved with raising livestock know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Heat stress can affect your animals in so many different ways. Um, If you're raising animals for meat, it will slow down how fast your animals grow which is not a good thing when you're you know, raising animals for meat and trying to do it frugally and not spend a ton of money on feed or hay for them. Raising animals in silvopasture, you automatically put them in an environment that is better suited for them to not have to deal with heat stress. So, a good rule of thumb is it's usually about 20 degrees cooler in the shade than it is in open sunlight. So, when you put your animals in silvo pasture, the majority of the pasture that they're on has ample shade, right? We want about 50% of our pasture to be shaded in a silvo pasture system. So, that means it's very easy for your animals to. Get out of the heat and get out of the sun without you know coming off a of pasture. Your animals can still be out there; they can still graze, they can still do their thing, but they're now they're doing it in the shade where they're comfortable. Another benefit of a silvopasture system is you're also going to enhance your wildlife habitat, which at first thought you might think. Well, I don't really want to enhance the wildlife habitat where I'm trying to raise livestock. But in reality, you do because when you have wildlife that come onto your pastures or your silvo pastures where your animals are, that's a sign that that ecosystem is thriving and it can sustain additional animals on it because the wildlife's not going to come to that space if it's not able to eat or graze in that area. So, when you see wildlife on your pasture or in your silvo pasture, that's a really good sign that whole ecosystem is thriving. So, that's a good thing. So, I want to talk a little bit about co-grazing. It's not... As new of an idea as maybe silvopasture, but it's still a really sustainable management practice that has a ton of benefits for your livestock. So, co grazing is a fancy way of saying we raise more than one type of livestock in the same space. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same space at the same time. You can definitely rotate. rotate animals out, and it's still technically co-grazing. I've seen this uh, done a lot with um, goats and other species of livestock, and that's for a really good reason. So goats are browsers. They're going to eat the shrubby plants in a pasture um, before they'll eat the grasses that say cattle or sheep or horses are going to go for. So when you put those two types of livestock in the same space, they're not gonna compete with each other for food. They're actually going to complement one another and focus on eating different types of plants in your pasture. So with a co-grazing system, you can increase the number of livestock that you can raise in one space without really increasing your costs or having to change a whole lot of stuff up because you're just taking advantage of the fact that there are numerous types of forages in a pastured area. Um, And this is really beneficial for your livestock's health. So um, one of the big concerns when you raise livestock are dealing with internal parasites or worms. Think tapeworms, roundworms, hookworms. Nobody wants to, do, to deal with those, right? Um, <clears throat> and if it's not managed properly, internal parasites can become a really expensive cost for you. So deworming your animals costs money. And if, if you don't deworm, And you end up with an infestation, you know, you could potentially lose animals to those internal parasites. So, one of the beauties of co grazing is you take advantage of the fact that internal parasites are species specific. So, the worms that, say, a cow gets are not the same kind of worms that a horse would get. Or sheep or goats. So, when you put two different species on the same pasture and they start to shed eggs from these internal parasites in their feces, and the eggs get on the grass or on the uh, forages that your animals are going to eat, the second species will come in and consume some of those eggs right? Because that's how internal parasites are spread. And those parasite eggs cannot survive in that second species. If it's not their niche species that they want to live in, they don't survive. So you're actually killing internal parasites without the use of worming your animal's just by using a co-grazing system. So that to me, that's an awesome and well, well worth it benefit of co-grazing uh, two different species. And again, you can achieve this same goal by rotating your animals out or keeping them all in the same pastured space together at the same time, either way you get you still get that benefit from co grazing.
0: Yeah, we really like co grazing. It's something that we started implementing probably about five to six years ago and um, it's worked really well for us especially with the chickens and then bringing the cattle in behind the chickens Um, and it's fascinating for me to see more so in the open pasture I haven't really rotated the chicken tractor through the trees I should say but in our open pasture area because when I move the chicken tractor I can literally see a trail behind where the chicken tractor has been and how much more vibrant and green the grass is and then the chickens seem to eat a lot of the seed heads that the cows don't. So I actually have less of the weeds that I don't want in the pasture. And then the cattle go behind and eat more of the things that the chickens don't seem to want in, in our pasture mix. So it's been really fascinating uh, to watch that happen. But I didn't even, I didn't really even take into consideration, consideration or even know about the Parasite, oh my goodness, words aren't coming out. I'm so excited I can't talk. <laughs> I hit the parasite load. Um, and that's fabulous because that's something I hate to use conventional worming, especially in the animals that we're eating, uh, you know, either their eggs or their meat. Uh, I don't have any dairy animals at the moment or milk animals. Um, and so I love knowing that actually is helping to reduce the parasite load. So that's fabulous. I think that right there is like reason enough to bring it on.
1: Right, and it's really great. You, I don't know um, how many people are aware of this, hopefully a lot, but for those that aren't, we are in the agriculture and livestock industry right now, we're having an issue with internal parasites becoming resistant to worming medications. And that's really from overuse of worming. Um, Back in the day, I remember uh, gosh, probably 20 years ago, um, my vet telling me that we needed to change our um, deworming system that we had used, uh, that she had actually recommended the year before. And it was like, every six weeks, you know, rotate out your dewormer and make sure you stay on a strict schedule, worm your horses every six weeks. And then the following year, she was like, we pretty sure we've been doing this wrong. Um, We only need to be deworming as we need to do it. And that kind of occurred across the entire industry. You know, people started to figure out that we had been way over stuff and subsequently were creating these pockets of uh, internal parasites that are resistant to dewormers. And we only have so many deworming medications to pick from. And some of these pockets of parasites are resistant to all of them which is not a good thing. (laughs) Um, So co-grazing kind of originated as a way to combat that. Instead of um, focusing on trying to come up with new warmers, it was a way of how can we control internal parasites naturally without medication? And that's, like I said, that's kind of how the concept of co-grazing came around
0: yeah it's just like over antibiotic use you know uh, same thing with with your wormers they will become resistant to it those things are, are actually quite evolved little beasts in both ways where they can become immune to those things and so yeah we we also use a lot of um different herbs so we'll use some different herbs to, to help keep parasite load down trying to do you know natural with the co-grazing and i've had really good success actually um by using both of those methods combined and not having to use a commercial for lack of a better word or synthetic. I'm not sure which word is best there on the words like pyrethrin and all the different names. of the ones out there. So this has been so fascinating. Um, I really am loving learning more about this so that we can even do a better job on our homestead and with our pasture and livestock as well, incorporating more of the, the pasture and managing what we, where we already naturally had it going on. I just didn't know that I had a name. So um, this has been really fun um so uh, do you have any additional resources that you would want to recommend to people who are interested in learning more about this or going deeper and and where they can connect with you and get info yeah
1: sure so um i talk about concepts like this quite frequently on my own blog which is far Minutes. and um there's actually i sent a link to you uh, I created an ebook for people that are interested in getting started with Silvopasture. It's free. Um, They can click over to that link and check that ebook out and go ahead and get started with Silvopasture.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that resource. And guys, we'll have that um, in the show notes, the blog post that accompanies this podcast episode. So you guys can hop right over there. We'll have the link in all the spots so that you can easily access that. And thank you so much for coming on today. And we didn't say this earlier, but and you have your three-week-old little baby has been a part of this podcast. And she, I actually did not even, I don't even know her name. So I don't know if it's she or he, but has behaved beautifully. I heard a couple of little little sweet little coos and i'm like oh i miss that sound but what an excellent uh, podcast guest even at three weeks old so thanks for sharing
1: yeah thanks for having me and ellie performed like a champ so i'm glad that she was um on her
0: a game today <laughs> yes she totally went up that, that may be the youngest podcaster debut ever. (laughs) Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. Oh, so thank you so much. This was just fascinating. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now for links and everything that Shelby and I were talking about, you are going to want to make sure that you go to com forward slash 275 just the number 275 because this is episode number 275 and you will get links to all of the things and resources that shall be shared with us today now if you are interested in becoming more sustainable and self-sufficient i have to tell you that i am going to be one of the presenters this year at the homesteaders of america's conference and for the past few I think three years or maybe four years that that conference has been going on, it has been in person. But of course, with all things COVID and pandemic, most in-person events have been canceled. But that means this year it's going to be online. So you don't have to travel all the way to Virginia and you can attend and watch all of the presentations online including my presentation which will be live it'll be done virtually of course but it's going to be live and I would love to have you in my session as well as catch all the other amazing presenters so you can use this is my affiliate link which means if you sign up and grab your virtual ticket I will make a small commission so thank you very much because I'm actually traveling to Virginia to do my presentation now I know I said it's not open to the public it's not but a very small group of the presenters and the board are going to be getting together, and I will be doing my presentation live from Virginia. So go to melissaknorris.com forward slash HOA for Homesteaders of America. We just shortened that up. melissaknorris.com forward slash HOA, and I would love it to see you in my presentation. I'm going to be doing some really fun giveaways and bonuses. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that we were doing a contest. You left a review of the podcast and then you screenshotted that to me so that I could enter your name into a drawing. So this was for the month of September and you got entered in to win a copy of one of my books, either The Family Garden Plan, The Made From Scratch Life or Handmade, And if you happen to already have all of my books, which thank you so much if you've purchased all three of my books, I highly appreciate that. But then that means that you were entered instead to win a copy that's not even out yet of my newest book, which is actually the Family Garden Planner.